Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. For the better part of the last decade, science fiction finally evolved from a niche genre into a mainstream staple. And while many people are familiar with the so-called fathers and grandfathers of genre, the women who have been instrumental in creating and shaping the nerdverse have largely gone unrecognized until today. I'm Preeti Chibber, and this is Sci-Fi Wire Fangirl's Forgotten Women of Genre, a podcast where we tell the stories of the women who helped some of the most famous fantasy worlds become a reality. When Margaret Sixel won the 2016 Academy Award for Best Editing, there was no doubt that she had accomplished the greatest feat in cinematic editing. With Mad Max Fury Road, George Miller's reboot of the iconic post-apocalyptic franchise, Sixel had been given 480 hours of footage to edit from a long and intense shoot that many in the film industry had already written off as a flop in waiting. Sixel herself was best known for editing much smaller movies and had never worked on an action film before. Even Mad Max fans were concerned this new movie would be a disaster. Instead, it remains both one of the best action films ever made and easily the peak of George Miller's career. That wouldn't have happened if it weren't for Margaret Sixel, and even George Miller knows that. A lot of a lot fell on the shoulders of Margaret Sixel, the editor, who happens to be South African and 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 my wife. She'd never cut a big action movie before, and that's exactly. She said, "Why me?" I said, "Because." you're going to cut it differently than any the, the guys would. It looked like every other action movie. And I didn't, we, we didn't want that. She, she's someone who can sort of, has a big, big brain. It's like a massive cute Rubik's Cube to put it together and she was able to pull it off. Before we can talk about Sixel, we have to recognize the history of film editing and women's place in this field. Hollywood has remained stridently male and white since its beginnings, but there was one area where women were dominant over men in those early days, and that was editing. Editing, or cutting as it was better known back then, was seen as menial labor, lacking in the creative opportunities offered by flashier roles like directing. Some compared it to sewing. At the time, editing was labor-intensive and very few of these cutters received named credits in the final film. The process involved cutting the film by hand, gluing strips together, then cranking the reels by hand over and over to see if the edit worked. As technology improved, the process became much faster, but it was still tough work that didn't pay all that great. At the time, editing was simply about maintaining continuity. Eventually, directors and film theorists began to envision editing as a creative aspect of filmmaking itself. Editing wasn't just about getting from scene A to B anymore. It was a means to convey mood, tone, pace, and so on. Women were at the forefront of this evolution. Women like Margaret Booth, editor on films like Mutiny on the Bounty, and one of the pioneers of the classic style of editing known as invisible cutting, wherein the transition between scenes was apparently seamless. Or Anne Boschens, who edited every film made by the legendary Cecil B. DeMille, 
and the first woman to win the Oscar for editing, or Anne V. Coates, who may be responsible for the single most iconic match cut in cinema, the cut from Match to Sunset and David Lean's Lawrence of Arabia. Here's Anne Coates talking to the American Film Institute. Anyway, he got up at the end and said something that's one of the nicest things I've ever had said to me, and that was, I've never seen anything else ever cut exactly like I would have done it myself. And, I mean, I, as you can imagine, I nearly burst into tears. I didn't, because David would not have liked that. During the studio era of Hollywood, major directors were often quickly moved from project to project, meaning they didn't get to supervise the edit. For women editors like Coates, Barbara McLean, and Viola Lawrence, that meant they had some semblance of creative control over the final product. So... You can thank these women for some of the most iconic cuts in cinema, from All About Eve to The Lady of Shanghai to The Ten Commandments. But it didn't take long for men to catch up with this change, and soon men came to dominate this field above women. As Anne V. Coates herself quipped, While it was just a background job, they let the women do it. But when people realized how interesting and creative editing could be, then the men elbowed the women out of the way and kind of took over. But women were not absent from this scene. Indeed, some of this era's most iconic and important directors had women editors at their side, helping to define their style as heavily as the scripts and direction itself. Who is Martin Scorsese without Thelma Schoonmaker, for example? When asked by someone how it was that such a nice lady could edit Scorsese's famously violent gangster movies, like Goodfellows and Casino, Thelma replied, Ah, but they aren't violent until I've edited them. Dee Dee Allen, who began work at Columbia Pictures as a production runner, was mentored by editor-turned-director Robert Weiss, the man who edited Citizen Kane and directed The Sound of Music. She went on to pioneer an auteurist kind of editing, stylistically mashing up jump cuts with audio overlaps and focusing on micro-changes to emphasize emotion over continuity. Her shop and frenetic editing on Bonnie and Clyde was considered so shocking by Warner Brothers that she was sacked for it only to be brought back on by Warren Beatty, who paid from his own pocket to keep her in her position. Quentin Tarantino has talked openly about how the late Sally Menke, editor on his first six films, was his only true, genuine collaborator. So women editors have always been part of Hollywood history. They are as much a part of its foundations as those male directors, the studio heads, and the glitzy stars on the posters. Yet because their job was, for the most part, to be invisible— to do all that labor without credit, their importance was played down, their contributions seen merely as following a director's orders. But once men decided it was a cool job to do, the glory was passed further along. There are exceptions, of course, but the gender imbalance remains obvious. From 1933 onwards, only nine of the Oscars for Best Film Editing have gone to women. Sixel was the most recent female recipient. A 2017 survey revealed that women editors worked on only 16% of the top 250 films of that year. With that uphill climb ahead of us, Margaret Sixel's achievements in Mad Max Fury Road deserve especially close attention. The South African-born Sixel studied film editing at the Australian Film, Television, and Radio School. In 1984, she started working as an assistant editor on the Australian miniseries The Last Bastion, which told the story of Australia's involvement in the Second World War. Co-directing that series was George Miller, who had come to prominence as part of the new wave of Australian indie cinema with 1979's Mad Max. By that point in time, he had already made the film's sequel and directed a segment of the anthology Twilight Zone the movie. Sixel would go on to work as an assistant and dialogue editor on films like Flirting, Romero, and A Case of Honor, but she wouldn't get her first solo editing job until 1994 with the film Mary. 
she would reunite with George Miller for the 1997 documentary, 40,000 Years of Dreaming. By that point in time, the two had also married. While she did not edit the 1995 film Babe, which Miller produced and had immense creative control over, he still credits Sixel with turning the film around during a fraught early edit. She was the one who, according to Miller, suggested the linking devices of chapter headings and the singing mice. She would edit his next film, Babe, Pig in the City, which was a flop at the time, but has since garnered cult status. Before Fury Road, the last film Sixel edited was another collaboration with her husband, the 2006 animated musical Happy Feet, for which Miller won an Oscar. To say the two films are diametrically opposed would be putting it mildly. You probably couldn't get further from the post-apocalyptic feminist gonzo action of Fury Road than a family film about singing penguins and being kind to the planet. But Miller's career has always been defined by his willingness to jump from genre to genre. Sixel's work was more limited, but therein was the appeal. When asked why he had chosen Sixel to edit Fury Road, Miller said it was because she had never edited an action film before, and that if it were to be edited by the usual kind of guys, it would look like every other action movie we see. Sixel even turned Miller down until he convinced her she could pull it off. And so we come to Mad Max Fury Road. They are not your property. Miss Kitty! You cannot own a human being. Sooner or later, someone pushes back. Where is she taking them? She didn't take them. They begged her to go. Where is she taking them? A long way from If you haven't seen Mad Max Fury Road, please go do so now. Like, right now. For those who need a reminder, the film is essentially one long frantic car chase across the desert complete with stunt work, sandstorms, and a guy with a guitar that shoots fire. The shoot was infamously difficult, with stars Charlize Theron and Tom Hardy allegedly fighting all the time. The stunts and effects, 90% of which were practical, were exceedingly difficult to choreograph, and the budget dramatically increased compared to early projections. Sixel went into the editing room with 20 full days' worth of footage. Watching it took three months alone before she made a single cut. For two years, Sixel worked an average of 10 hours a day, six days a week, admitting to NPR she didn't find the script or storyboards all that helpful. She said, I looked at the material that I had in front of me and made sense of that. And that's so you have no preconceived idea of what a scene should be. She clocked in a total of over 6,000 hours to create the two-hour movie audiences saw. Fury Road never stops moving. Its pace is relentless, and yet it still manages to deftly draw these rich character arcs, a unique but instantly understandable setting, and a tone that manages to be deadly serious about its lofty themes, while still reveling in the grimy punk aesthetic. Sixel had to not only assure that the story kept moving forward, but that audiences never got bored by the ceaseless spectacle, something that's a lot harder than it looks. She also had to ensure that the audiences could actually see what was going on, how many times have you watched an action movie chock full of stunning special effects that you couldn't focus on due to fast cuts and shaky cam? This is where Sixel's lack of action movie editing experience came in handy. She didn't look at the footage in the way others in her field may have, nor did she focus exclusively on issues of continuity. The film has a linear narrative that you can keep up with, but it's not obsessed with hitting the marks of getting from point A to point B. In an interview with the Los Angeles Times, Sixel explained her irritation with what she called, quote, Meaningless cutting. We had a few hardcore fans in the cutting room, and they'd gasp and say, You can't do that. I'd say, Why can't I? They'd say, The fans want to see the interceptor. And I'd say, Ugh, 
but it slows everything down. Moving on here. I wanted every single shot to progress the story. I don't like repetition, and I think we applied that rule religiously throughout the film. For Sixel, that also meant no repeat shots or, quote, ones that have no added information. She was unafraid to remove scenes that may have added extra depths to the narrative but took away from the central focus of Max, Furiosa, and the brides. They are, first and foremost, the key to this story. And that feminist focus was one of the reasons that the film was so enthusiastically received. It also helps that the film is bereft of the male gaze and never reduces its female characters to sex objects, even when that is the villain's modus operandi. As she told IndieWire, I didn't want this to be a string of spectacular stunts and lose emotional connection with our main characters. I scoured the material looking for shots of Max, Furiosa, Nux, and the girls to keep them all present and humanize the action. I would do Max passes of the film where I would only pay attention to him. I did the same for Furiosa at all. Sixel also had immense amount of freedom to cut rapidly because cinematographer John Seal kept the focus in the center of the frame. If the action is always in the middle of the frame and not moving around, it's easier to create a linear edit, and it's also easier for audiences to keep up with the narrative. The end result was a two-hour-long film with around 2,700 cuts, and not one shot feels wasted or unnecessary. You could watch Fury Road dozens of times and still find new things to admire thanks to the edit, and the critics took notice. Brian Tellerico of RogerEbert.com said the film, quote, contains some of the best editing the genre has ever seen. And A.A. Dowd of the AV Club wrote, For all the chaos erupting at all times, we never lose track of what's going on because it's been staged not just with diabolical mischief, but also total clarity. What a movie. Mad Max Fury Road was named 19th greatest film of the 21st century in a 2016 BBC Critics poll. It was nominated for 10 Oscars, including Best Picture. Sixel won Best Editing, becoming the first woman of the 2010s to do so. She's blazing a trail for women editors, but as she noted in her post-Oscars win press conference, she's not alone. I think there is some prejudice that women can't cut action, but I'm hoping that will change with the Star Wars girls and, and me. Um, you know, I just, you know, I, I, think, I think it will change. I think it's already changing. Don't you? I, that's my personal feeling. And you just watch in the next 10 years, I think, you know, the balance will come back in our favor, hopefully. Yeah. The story of Margaret Sixel is fascinating on its own, but it's an especially satisfying climax to a decades-long industry tale of sexism, creativity, and our place in the magical world of movie making. From the unnamed cutters behind the scenes of the silent age to the editors who define the best films ever made, Women in editing will forever remain the not-so-secret weapons of cinema. Forgotten Women of Genre is a production of Sci-Fi Wire Fangirls. Today's episode was written by Kaylee Donaldson and read by Preeti Chibber and produced by Cher Martinetti. You can find the script of this episode and so much more at scififangirls.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at scififangirls.